The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate. Put this one in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Did all the CEOs in America suddenly decide to pull in their horns? And they did so right at the exact moment when interest rates hit levels that make investors queasy? Are these captains of industry just plain scared? Or were they merely trying to lower expectations all at once to more realistic levels that they can beat later this year? On a day when the Dow plunged 425 points, S&P plummeted 1.34%, and the Nasdaq nosedived 1.7%, I can't escape the feeling that this was a bit of a self-inflicted wound, one that really fooled people because at one point the Dow was actually up 131 points. That's a 620-point swing. Awful. But a recovery of 130 points from the day is low. Allow me to explain what I think is today's utter insanity. First, we had three separate companies this morning say the wrong thing, and it obliterated their stocks. The house of pain. Frankly, I bet every one of these execs wishes they could take back their statements, but there are no do-overs in this game. Let's start with Caterpillar. First off, this was the best quarter I have ever seen from Caterpillar. Everything. I mean Everything was firing on all cylinders. And every market was on fire. Caterpillar sells into mining, and mining was incredibly strong. It sells into oil and gas. That market's come alive with a frenzy. It sells into construction and infrastructure. Holy cow, demand is insane. The company's coining money like I've never seen it. And I've been a cat watcher since 1984. Take it from me. This quarter, this quarter, was as good as it gets. And that was precisely the problem. Because the chief financial officer, Bradley Halverson, in an otherwise joyous, maybe even rapturous litany on the conference call, dropped a bomb. I'm quoting. 
He said, the outlook assumes that first quarter adjusted profit per share will be the high watermark for the year. Yep. It was literally as good as the cat's, which is crazy when you consider the cat raised its full year forecast by two bucks. To me, the whole thing was confusing. To others, it was a chance to sell. Now, you can't hear a pin drop on a conference call, nor, frankly, can you hear any analysts throwing up during the Q&A. But had the lines been opened all, there would have been a moment of quiet and then a cacophony of a stock reflux as analysts and investors who bid the stock up furiously right until that very high water mark moment just puked up every share that was within miles of the blast zone. It was a spontaneous combustion. Everyone on the call is still shaking from their collective projectile vomiting session. It gets worse. The shocked analysts didn't even seem to know what to ask. Was it rising commodity costs? Was it weakness in particular areas? Was it worries about global trade competition? Anything! Or perhaps it was a mistake. Maybe Kat didn't mean to say it. Maybe they could take it back. You could sense the desperation when an analyst asked what, that, that, that maybe, just perhaps, I mean, it could be that the term high watermark, please, wasn't accurate. Maybe. Well, the investor relations person who answered the question made it real clear. Oh, no, no mistake. It's for real. It's as good as it gets. Yes, indeedy. And the term high watermark, fit the situation to a T. The stock plummeted like a piano off the Empire State Building, only closing down 6%. But as they say on late-night TV, wait, there's more! 3M, one of the most reliable companies on Earth, this morning lowered the high end of its full-year earnings forecast. That's right, because of some softer markets and some commodity pricing, the company shaded down its guidance. The only thing worse than calling the top, as Caterpillar did, is to say that things are actually a tad weaker. That's five pianos falling off the Empire State Building. Now, I've gone over this conference call maybe 10 times, and I am telling you that outgoing CEO Inga Tulin did not mean to wreck his own stock. Far from it. I think they must have been stunned in Minneapolis, St. Paul, about the reaction here, with the stock at one point sinking 18 points before closing down 14. <laughs> what a comeback. Unlike Cat, all these guys really intended to do was follow up on some comments given earlier this quarter about how March was weaker. 3M's a company, again, like Cat, I follow closely. We own a fractionalersplus.com, and we were stunned at the reaction, too, given that the company had totally telegraphed this news just a few weeks ago. I mean, it, I could argue it was old news. Yet it produced the biggest decline in nine years for this, the bluest of the blue chips. I think you're getting a chance to buy a great American manufacturer at a discount, but nobody wanted to hear that. And I figured there'll be more selling tomorrow. That is what happens when you open the floodgates. The big sellers can't finish their selling in one session, and they are going to reload tomorrow. A decline like this takes another day before it can be stemmed. After that, believe me, the company will be in there buying aggressively, hand over fist, right along with you. All the pianos weren't done fully. The most dependable part of this tape, the best bull market out there. Remember, there always is a bull market somewhere. What is it? It's defense! That's why it was so exciting to see a blowout number this morning from Lockheed Martin, the gigantic defense contractor. The numbers look stupendous, and you got a terrific guide up. But, and this is a huge but, when the conference call, Lockheed Martin said that its cash flow forecast wouldn't rise along with its earnings. The guide up. Now, this was one of those, honest, I mean, I, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And this is one of those where you know what I felt like? I felt like Scooby-Doo when he goes, yep. I mean, really? I, no increase in cash flow? Yep. 
I, and, and to me, the company was simply trying to play it safe. I mean, it was the scoob. But this market is unsafe at any speed. And the stock got clobbered as if it were hit by a missile fired by the F-35, which we learned has corrosion damage. A bit of info that the Air Force Secretary happened to drop just at this particular moment. The result of management's attempts to underpromise, Lockheed tumbled 6%. Oh, and now let's throw over the rest of the symphony's orchestra instruments because Alphabet reported last night what looked like one of the most exciting electric explosive quarters of all time. No matter, the company made it clear that it spent fortunes and will step up spending because, well, uh, I don't know, because they can, they have to, they would, who knows? I mean, I'm not sure. They're not great at communicating, but we'll dig deeper into Alphabet later in tonight's show. I think it might have been a failure of communications. Now, look, I think the market could have handled any one of these, or two of these, or maybe even three of these, yes. But all of them hitting at the exact same moment when the 10-year Treasury traded up over that fabled 3% level, well, that was enough to tank us. What else? I've been saying the trade and tariffs, TNT, and that's not tankery and tonic as much as I needed one at the end of the day, are the real Achilles heel of this market. And today they ruptured. Ruptured like when you pull down a window shade, you know, and then let it fly, boom! Because uh, companies talked openly about how much this trade war and their tariffs are hurting them, hurting their bottom lines. Mind you, I'm not talking about uh, one, but both Achilles were shredded. And that's too much for even the greatest athlete to handle. And remember, that long ago, this market was positively Olympian. Now, have all the instruments fallen? Are they done? Have all the Achilles been ruptured? I think we're closer to a bottom than to a top at this point because we have now hit the 3% on the tenure, and we've had so much collateral damage in everything, every part of FANG, every industrial, every consumer packaged good stock, every tech. So unless these companies say, hey, you know what? We listened to the Caterpillar call, and we really like that. We, too, are saying this is our water market. We're done for the year. We're crippled by raw costs. We're scared of China. We see softness around the globe. Well, unless they say that, I think the stocks might actually bounce. But here's the bottom line. Today, we experienced a panic like we haven't seen in ages, where every little bit of softness, every negative was dropped on our heads like a grand piano falling off the Empire State Building. It doesn't bounce off Fifth Avenue, trust me. The market won't be able to recover all that quickly. Pianos hurt, as do tubas, violins, and even piccolos. Still, this breakdown was so incoherent, so random, so ferocious, and so thoughtless that it did create a ton of bargains and all of the chaos. I just don't think many people feel like looking for them after today's carnage. Gregory in California. Gregory. Hey, Jim. Big booyah to you. Yeah, man. Massive uh, booyah right back at you, partner. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm, I'm calling about uh, one of my favorite organic food companies, Hain Celestial. They, they're such a great company. They have so many great brands. And irrespective of what the market does, they seem to just trade completely flat. And now they're at the, like, 52-week low. Uh, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but they seem kind of nicely wrapped up with Amazon because they're all over Whole Foods with those uh, organic uh, brands that they have. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, I tell you, it's in, it's still, even though it may be in the better aisle, like the natural good for you aisle in the supermarket, it's in the supermarket. And right now, other than Pinnacle Foods, there aren't many companies that are in the supermarket whose stock aren't, stocks aren't falling apart. So I can say that I am a little gun shy. Rita in Kentucky. Rita. Yeah, hey. I I see you every night. You were very entertaining and very informative. My wife wife would disagree with you, and she sees me every night. But how can I help? Yeah, I'm I'm from New Britain, Connecticut, where my old good old Stanley works is. And I was wondering what is happening with them. 
I got scared last week. They hit such a, a low. I mean, I know all the stocks are upside down now, but we were concerned. Should we be concerned? Um, it was not a good quarter. It, it just simply was not a good quarter. They did not do a good job, even by, I think, by their own admission, they didn't do a good job. And we have stocks like Home Depot and Costco that are doing so well. Huge, huge dividend from Costco tonight that I prefer to be in the places where you buy Black & Decker and Stanley Works tools rather than the tools themselves. Whoa, this was an agonizing day. We haven't seen this kind of panic in ages. But I thought it was pretty thoughtless, and therefore you're getting some bargains in the chaos. Remember, nobody ever made a dime panicking, although they sure did try today. Well, Mad Money tonight, after today's triple-digit decline, I'm taking a moment to put the recent doom and gloom in context when I go off the charts. And Alphabet shed about 5% today after reporting first quarter earnings. Feel like you're left with is, is Alphabet soup? Ooh, Campbell's soup, that's a bad stock. I'll tell you why you may be approaching this one all wrong. And with the weather finally warming up, is it time to take a ride with Six Flags? Didn't you feel like you were on one today? I sure know that Caterpillar analysts and investors did. I'm eyeing Six Flags after earnings. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take a deep breath. Take a step back. Today, the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury briefly crossed above 3%, something we've been hearing warnings about for months. And what happened? The market got hit, just like I told you it would. But I've also told you that, well, 3% is not the end of the world. And weakness like this could end up, not is, but could end up being a buying opportunity where everyone's done panicking. But they got to finish, and we don't know when that'll be. So I think it's worth taking a moment to put the recent doom and gloom in context. That's why tonight we're going off the charts, unemotionally, with the help of Carolyn Baroden, the brilliant technician who runs the FibonaciQueen.com website. It also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com. Get a better sense of where the major averages might be headed. Pretty sane to do today, right? On the one hand, Broden says that bullish long-term patterns in these charts that I'm about to show you remain intact. On the other hand, there are some worrisome sides, and it's certainly possible that they could break down, creating a much more bearish vibe. So let's start with the NASDAQ 100. Consider the action here. Index is made up of the 100 largest non-financial stocks in NASDAQ composite and the S&P 500 cash index, which is an important benchmark for the stock market. Okay, here we go. We'll start with the big picture. Check out the monthly chart of the NASDAQ 100. Broden sees a number of warning signs here. For starters, remember how our methodology works? She likes to look at past swings, okay, then run them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios. And that's a series of numbers discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics, Leonardo Fibonacci. This helps her identify key levels where security is more likely to change course. And it happens ahead of time so you don't get caught. Well, the Nasdaq 100's recent rally was not far from from making a 161.8% Fibonacci price extension of the dot-com era decline from March of 2000 to October of 2002. 
ooh, ugly time. And Broden notes that many rallies tend to terminate at similar extensions of, price, of prior swings. Whenever she sees this, it makes her want to get more cautious. Think of it as kind of a yellow stoplight. You don't necessarily need to slam on the brakes, but you do need to think about whether it might be time to stop. Okay, so now let's zoom in a bit with the weekly chart of the NASDAQ 100. Okay, so this is a different time frame. Broden thinks this one paints a more hopeful picture. All is not lost. While the recent declines have had the bears salivating, she says that it's possible that the carnage may actually be over soon, at least for the moment. Why? Because of symmetry. The idea that rallies or declines tend to be similar in scale. Broden points out that the NASDAQ 100's four most recent declines have lasted for anywhere from 850 to around 900 points before running their course. See, that's pretty interesting, right? After each previous sell-off, the index resumed its, its march higher. So when she sees that the NASDAQ 100, uh, by eight, when she sees the NASDAQ 100 by 863 from its March peak to its early April trough, okay, that's how much it's fallen, it makes her think that the latest downdrift might actually be over. Plus, even if the index were to drop 900 points from its March peak, okay, that would still put it above the February lows. All right. So that's important. We remember, we don't want to she doesn't want to breach these levels. That's what these mean. OK, you don't want to just suddenly go here because then you're going to see us go much lower. So here's how Broden sees it. As long as the Nasdaq 100 holds above its lows made earlier this month, she thinks the odds actually favor a resumption of the long term rally. If we hold above these levels, and that is a mighty big if, her Fibonacci projections make her think that the Nasdaq 100 could run all the way up to seven thousand four hundred and twenty before it faces much resistance, up more than 12% from where it's now trading. It sure doesn't feel that way right now when you leave, right? But remember, the charts have no emotion. When the index started bouncing around earlier this month, she was very hopeful that it might be smooth sailing to these elevated levels. But since then, the NASDAQ 100 obviously has hit a snag. So let's zoom in still further to the daily chart because the snag is easier to notice on this one, even though it's a lot of action going on here. Just like on the monthly, Broden sees a bunch of reasons to get more cautious here, something you know I totally agree with. The NASDAQ 100's recent rally from the April 2nd lows put it within striking distance of not one, not two, but three important Fibonacci levels. In other words, last Last week's highs came right around where Broden would have expected that you would run out of steam. On top of that, you need to remember that Broden's methodology also applies to the x-axis of the chart, which is the time. She measures the duration of past swings, runs them through a Fibonacci filter, and comes up with dates where a stock or an index is likely to change course. Well, the NASDAQ 100 highs last week coincided with at least six of these Fibonacci time relationships that came due between the, eight, the 16th and the 19th. See all those? Okay. Now, here's the problem. Broden says that when you see a confluence of all these cycles like this, you need to anticipate a possible reversal of whatever the index was doing beforehand. Since the NASDAQ 100 was rallying going into this window, she's now worried it might be due to get decked further from here. Sure enough, this is exactly where the index started to falter last week. So now we have a new ceiling of resistance at around 6,856, okay? Up roughly 300 points from here. So if the NASDAQ 100 is going to keep rallying to new highs, Broden thinks it's crucial that we clear this level, which I now 
I'm sure you probably think is miles from here. Put it all together, and she wants to see a couple of things before she's willing to go bullish here. The index needs to hold above the February lows at 6164. Remember how awful February was around the Super Bowl? And it also has to break out above last week's highs, above 6,856. As long as it's between these levels, though, this is the problem. This is technical no man's land. That's why we're so uncertain here. Um, if we take out last week's highs, Broden thinks we can rally nicely. But if we break down below the February lows, then we could be in for a hideous multi-month decline. Until we get some resolution either way, she thinks you need to tread carefully. And I'm sure some of you are saying, well, hold it. She's saying on the one here and the other hand, but she's giving you the levels that we got to hold, okay? Now, when you check out the daily chart of the S&P 500 cash index, you see a very similar situation. Just like the NASDAQ, the S&P had a nice bounce going that ran out of steam last week. Broden thinks we need to clear the ceiling of resistance near last week's highs before we can get confident about any kind of rally. That means we need to break out above 2,725, and that's about 3% from here. On the other hand, the S&P also has a floor of of support established uh, by the bottom back in February at 2,532. And that's down a bit less than 4% from here. If we break down below the February lows, Broden believes we'll be in for a heck of a lot more downside. That means from a technical perspective, the S&P is also balanced on a knife's edge. Up 3%, we're in good shape. Down 4%, and we're in for a world of hurt. Mr. T prediction, pain. Bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggest that the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500 cash index remain in a kind of no man's land. Today's sell-off didn't wreck the charts. I know a lot of you think it did, but it didn't. But she thinks it makes sense to be cautious here because down a few percent from these levels, both indices become a lot uglier from a technical perspective. Up a few percent, and they start looking real pretty. My view, I am not a chart follower, but given how many people in Wall Street take their cue exactly from this stuff, I think you need to be aware of these key levels in case we breach them in either direction. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on Alphabet after earnings. Companies open wallet won few friends on Wall Street. But are people approaching the stock all wrong? Then it's a top player in the amusement park industry, but are you tall enough to get on this wild ride with a good yield? I'm talking with the CEO of Six Flags, and the one thing that can help you determine which stocks can still be bought in a terrible sell-off like today. Yes, I've got the answers. I also can tell you which plays have long-term to be avoided unless something changes. Stick with Kramer. You may not remember after today's market-wide pasting. But last night, Alphabet, the parent company of Google, actually did report a fabulous quarter. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I mean, it really was. Yet even before the market went into its free fall today, this stock was already getting slammed last night. Well, Alphabet initially popped in after hours trading, the stock quickly reversed and turned negative as investors started finding things, let's say, to quibble about. Darn thing opened down 1.4% this morning before then just getting crushed in the sell-off. It only finished down $51.17, or 4.8%. Ouch, nasty! Now, if you only looked at the stock, you'd think that Alphabet just delivered some really ridiculous downside surprise and a huge cut to its forecast, but it was that kind of day. Nothing could be further from the truth. Problem is that Alphabet, a stock we own from my chapel trust, can't seem to get much respect from Wall Street. It's kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield of gigantic technology companies. Why can't Alphabet get any love except maybe from uh, ActionAlertsPlus.com Club? Okay, 
I think the crux of the issue is that many investors don't understand how to evaluate this story. Alphabet is neither a hyper-growth stock like Amazon, nor a value play like, say, IBM. And as a result, nobody knows what to do with the darn thing. So I think they're just throwing it away. But I'd argue it has the best of both worlds. Hey, you don't get to be the G and Fang for nothing, even as it's now morphed into Alphabet and A. This is a fast-growing company with an incredibly cheap value stock. There it is. You just need to know how to figure the darn thing out. That's my job, and we're going to do it right now. First, let's consider last night's remarkable quarter. Alphabet delivered a monster 62-cent earnings beat off, yeah, you heard me, beat. Not, not a full cut, but a beat uh, off of a $9.31 basis, much higher than expected revenue, up 26% year-over-year. Aren't we supposed to consider that important? The last time these guys reported, the numbers were widely seen as disappointing. I said they were disappointing. I said it out here, I, but it wasn't this time. Alphabet's on fire. Google search, better than expected. YouTube, better than expected. Advertising, better than expected. Cloud business, much better than expected. The only division that wasn't firing on all cylinders, what Alphabet calls its other bets segment, which includes their Waymo self-driving car platform. Even after the Uber autonomous driving fatality earlier this year, Waymo continues to make progress. But other bets is sadly almost always awful. It's a good reason to segregate it, which is exactly what they do. When you really drill down, I thought the numbers were even better than what I just said. You see some stunning, some stunning figures. Paid clicks were up 59% year over year, a major acceleration, not the acceleration from last quarter's 48, 48% growth. Holy cow. I mean, seriously, search is Alphabet's core business, and people are clicking on these ads like crazy. Granted, the cost per click, basically ad pricing, was down 19% as consumers continue to access content via mobile devices. And mobile ad rates are much lower than desktop rates. Still, that's more than offset by the gigantic increase in paid clicks. And by the way, it's not that unexpected. Then there's what they call the Google Other Business, which includes all the various Google apps, Google Online Media Store, Google Cloud Platform. Google Other was up 36%. The app division delivered accelerating revenue growth. Arg. And the cloud business is seeing a pickup in large deal activity. Sounded good to me. Icing on the cake? Alphabet's benefiting enormously from tax reform. The company had an effective tax rate of 11% this quarter, down from 20% last year. Funnily enough, when the tax bill passed, a lot of skeptics argued that Alphabet would be less of a winner than more domestically focused companies. And as it turned out, it does a ton of business overseas, of course. But they're a huge winner. A a huge winner. But if things are going so great for Alphabet, why in the world did the stock start selling off last night, even before the yield and the 10-year surge passed the much-feared 3% level today and sent the whole market into tailspin? Maybe all of the money managers in Wall Street got swapped with their double gangers from bizarro world where everything's backwards. Perhaps today is opposite day. What about a conspiracy masterminded by the Bavarian Illuminati? I know they've been told to operate on stocks periodically. Honestly, I wish it were that simple. In reality, even as the company has more than $100 billion in the bank, yeah, $100 billion, investors got freaked out by the fact that Alphabet is spending a lot of money. That's what it comes down to. Now, Amazon, Netflix, they can get away with spending much more of their hyper-growth stocks. Growth-oriented money managers are perfectly happy with these companies spending money like drunken sailors. But incredibly, Alphabet has become more of a value-oriented tech stock now. And the value guys tend to care about the bottom-line Uber Alice. Now, this spending comes in different baskets. You have your day-to-day operating costs and your capital expenditures, which are investments in the long-term success of the business. On the operational side, people worry about Alphabet's traffic acquisition costs, or TAC, 
what the company pays its online partners to support its advertisements. The company spent $6.29 billion on traffic acquisition this quarter, and that's equal to 24% of its ad revenues. And this is what freaked people out. It's up from 22%. That translated into weaker margins, and I never want to be glib about margin erosion. That was the absolute most negative thing about this quarter. And I don't think it's that negative. See, I I think it's crazy that the stock sold off on this one line item. First of all, Alphabet's management's been telling us its traffic acquisition costs would rise for some time. It's not like this came out of nowhere. Honestly, it was totally telegraphed. Second, these higher costs are the product of a deliberate decision. If Alphabet wants to put up the kind of incredible growth it just gave us, it needs to double down on fast-growing markets like mobile search and YouTube advertising. But those areas have higher traffic acquisition costs and lower margins than Alphabet's traditional desktop search biz. So you have to ask yourself, why are we fretting about the margins when the company just reported a monster earnings beat? Clearly, they're not having trouble making the numbers. The revenue growth from mobile and YouTube more than offset the accompanying margin shrinkage. I think the results actually speak for themselves. And remember, again, I was critical of the last quarter. I'm not sitting here just saying, you know what? They did it again. It's so great. I blasted the last quarter. Then there's the other type of spending that is people worry, capital expenditures. Alphabet spends $7.3 billion on purchase of property and equipment. And that's nearly triple what they spent last year. To be fair, it seems pretty stunning at first glance. But let's drill down again. Almost a third of the CapEx budget went to a single major one-off purchase. They bought a building in Manhattan that's right across the street from their existing New York office. Trust me, they won't be buying Manhattan real estate every quarter. Judging by today's reaction in the stock, I bet some of the execs wish they hadn't bought this one. As for the rest, we're talking about investments in business that that you should really like. Alphabet's spending a fortune building out data centers to improve its cloud offerings. How many times do I come out here, oh my, you know, all these real estate investment trusts, all the things I talk about when it comes to the, the cloud? Well, this is cloud spending. The cloud is an amazing opportunity. We want spending on the cloud. They're also spending on other bets like Waymo self-driving cars because they want to own the self-driving car space. And so far, my contacts indicate they're going to do it. Again, long-term investment in the company's future. And it's not like they can't afford it again. $103 billion in cash and short-term investments. So it's not like they're, str- they're strapped. All right, to me, the CapEx criticism is off base. Amazon and Netflix can spend seemingly unlimited amounts of money investing in their own growth prospects. Everybody likes it. When Alphabet does it, everybody freaks out. Here's how I see it. You need to judge Alphabet like a growth company with a value stock. It's perfectly fine for a growth company to spend a lot of money on expanding the business. In fact, it's to be encouraged. But compared to the other growth tech plays, Alphabet stock is extremely cheap. This thing trades at 21 times next year's earnings estimates. By the way, that is cheaper than Coca-Cola, all right, which is going to be lucky to have 4 or 5% growth. Cheaper than Coca-Cola. That's why I consider it a value stock, because 21 times earnings with a 29% growth rate makes it a ridiculous bargain. On that basis, Alphabet is a true value versus, say, Amazon or Netflix or Coca-Cola. You want to do everything? Let's just throw them all in. So that means you can buy it here and buy more if it goes lower. The bottom line, sell-offs can create buying opportunities. And today's brutal thrashing is letting you pick up Alphabet, the company formerly known as Google, down nearly 5%, even as it just reported a fantastic quarter. I would not look this gift horse in the mouth, but you can't buy all at once because we have a market that's not rewarding bravery. When you look at all the carnage wrought on tech today, it would be pure arrogance to try to call a bottom here. But that doesn't mean you can't do some buying now. 
just leave room for those who know even less than those who sold today. Will in Georgia, Will. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Well, I don't know, man. A little discouraging day today, but I'm trying to sort it out. How about you? I agree. The market bled a little bit, but I think we can hang in there. Great. Um, I was wondering uh, your thoughts on AMD. Um, I know you see a lot of companies, they beat earnings and spike about a percent or two in the pre-market, and then right when the bell rings, they just drop. And um, I know a lot of people will say, well, the earnings beat's already factored into the price before that point. But with AMD, you've kind of seen a sell-off recently, and uh, I've read a lot of analysts say that they might beat earnings, and I was just wondering what your uh, perspective would be. Okay, I'm going to divide this into two. First, Texas Instruments reported at the close, and it had a good number, and the stock actually went up. So it's not like that nothing is ever going to go up with a good number. Advanced Micro is in a battle with NVIDIA and Intel. And I think it is doing a great job, but if it reports on a day like today, no one will like it no matter what they say, but maybe tomorrow will be different. Okay, listen to me. This is not a bottom in tech, but this is an opportunity to do some buying of the terrific Titan that is Alphabet. Uh, I would not let this sell-off go completely to waste. Much more mad money had, including my scoop with six flags. Stock's been a roller coaster over the past few years. Is it worth holding on or should you get off the ride? Then a pattern we've seen this earnings season that could be deadly for your portfolio. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. everyone freaking out about Treasury yields today, solid, consistent earnings will matter sometime, or at least they'll matter once everything calms down and the smoke clears. Uh, when that happens, I don't want these reports to get lost in the shuffle. For example, Six Flags, the largest operator of regional theme parks on Earth, just delivered a strong quarter after the close today. Okay, maybe it doesn't look like it, but bear with me. The company lost 74 cents a share. Winter is the worst time of the year, but that's more than the 79 cent loss Wall Street was anticipating, and you know that's what matters. Meanwhile, revenue came in higher than expected, up 30% year over year. Six Flags saw a 27% increase in the number of guests visiting its parks. Each of those guests spent an average of 4% more than they did last year. It's kind of a same store figure. Oh, and this mostly domestic company is expanding overseas. Earlier this month, they announced a plan to build a park in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. Today, they announced three planned theme parks in China, although I imagine that that may depend on how our trade dispute with the Chinese plays out more in a second. Now, this stock has been a good long-term performer, but it's getting hammered in recent months. Can things turn around with these numbers? Let's take a closer look with Jim Reed Anderson, the chairman and returning CEO of Six Flags Entertainment, to learn more about the quarter and its company's prospects. Mr. Reed Anderson, welcome back to Mid Money. Good to see you, sir. Have a Great seat. to be here, Jim. All right, Jim. This is a period that tries uh, men's soul, so to speak. And yeah. I've been looking for this quarter to be as good as this, hoping, fingers crossed, thinking that what would happen is perhaps the stock was going down for the wrong reasons. Please help me here. This was a terrific quarter, better than expected. But in anticipation, I guess, of this, the 10-year Treasury going past 3%, you're caught up in this vortex. We are, but... I always believe that you need to focus on performance. And since I last saw you, Jim, we had our greatest fourth quarter of all time, eighth record year in a row. And then this quarter is our best first quarter in the company's history. 
And as you know, I, I look on us as the ultimate growth and yield stock, right. and we're right. delivering over 5% in terms of dividend yield. So, you know, performance, just operating, getting the results as we're doing, I think the share price will re react to that. When you own a treasury, they don't raise the coupon. You don't get more and more interest as it goes along. How about your a record of dividend increases so we can compare that to owning a treasury? Absolutely. And it's eight years of dividend increases. And again, since I last saw you six months ago, we've raised the dividend by 22%. And our goal is to continue to increase the dividend. Uh, as you know, Jim, every single dollar that's excess to what we need to invest in the company, in the parks, we give back to shareholders in the form of either dividends or stock buybacks. And right, we've no, been consistently doing that. No, the whole time. Now, let's understand that it's not just about theme park revenue on that given right. day. You've got an active past base that, to me, represents a, an earning stream that, typically, that you did not have when we first met. Absolutely. We've transformed the business. And really, uh, we've been focusing in on recurring revenue and how we create a recurring revenue model. And the best way to do that is to focus on the active base and keep people with us long term. So when I first met you, we talked about single day pass right. uh, visitors. We then moved to season pass. And now we've launched this incredible membership program that really builds on that active base. And it's at an all time high up 10%, literally 10% on last year. All right, now how do we uh, account for the international expansion? How does that work in terms of revenues to you? So first and foremost, we have five major imperatives that are ongoing, of which international is one. Mm -hmm. But just this quarter, we've added four new parks, three in China, as you said, and one in Saudi Arabia. So that takes us in total to 12. And those parks are adding nicely to future revenue, but they're one piece of a puzzle, which we have very strong growth in every single one of those five imperatives. I always tell people that one of the reasons why I like your stock so much is that I can't just go out with a bunch of guys and build theme parks all over the country. There are real right. gating factors, There right? are. So there are, first of all, it's a great industry, right. but it's a great industry if you're in it already. Right. And we have that position. As you said, we're the leading regional theme park company in the world. Very high barriers to entry. It's in the region of half a billion dollars to build a theme park. But once you're in, you have this recurring revenue. You have a great industry. Strong, as you've seen, our per caps in the quarter. No. Very strong growth. So pricing is happening. We've got an active base that's increasing. We've got an in-park in dining program that is so popular with guests. They see it as a huge value. That's increasing. And then I, I, you haven't mentioned it, Jim, but we're adding water parks right. as we go that are very close to our existing theme parks. And that's also having a great effect. Well, look, I just I'm so glad you're here because I wanted someone sane, OK, in an insane day yeah. to explain how you basically get a bond with upside. And that's how I regard your company. And I think you think of it the right way. Right. As I've said to you all along and you have been saying the same thing, growth Plus yield, very difficult to achieve. We do it, and we'll continue to do it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, there's Jim Reed Anderson. Uh, he's chairman, president, and CEO of Six Flags, and he's sane on an insane day. We have money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Good Benjamin and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Because we're going to start with Ann in New York. Ann. Hi, Jim. How you doing? A big am... booyah to you from Long Island, New York. Oh, uh, Long Island. I was out. My wife was out there today. What's happening? Beautiful. The defense stocks are a little crazy these days, and I hold most of them. 
I bought Spirit Arrow SPR in January at 105, and I'm holding it in my Roth. I'm 60 years old. Do I lock in my loss now? Hold on for no, the ride? No, no, I don't want what to lock in your loss. Right now, the market is kind of anti the defense stocks and anti-aero. But how long can that last? This is a great company. I suggest that you just hold tight. Let's go to Anthony in New York. Anthony. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Eh, a long I... day, frankly. What's going on with you? Uh, you know, same thing. Right. I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on BMY. All right, Bristol-Myers has sold off so much, so much, and yet, when I'm finished with it, it still sells at 16 times earnings, and it only yields 3%. So I would tell you, I don't have a catalyst to make the thing come back other than a takeover, and I don't see one coming. Maybe it surprises you. How about uh, Rich in Wisconsin? Rich. Hey, Jim, how about a big Wisconsin quadruple booyah for my two sets of twins, Tony Claire and Carter. That's a four-time distilled booyah. What's going on? <laughs> Jim, with continued momentum building in esports, a huge catalyst coming in October with the release of Red Dead Redemption 2 and the stock down more than 30 bucks from its January highs. What are your thoughts on Take-Two Interactive? Right now, that whole video game group is in, uh, let's just say, turmoil because of some other cheaper games that are in. I want to see Take-Two's earnings before I say, but you do have a high-quality uh, situation. How about Nick in Colorado? Nick. Booyah to you from the Mile High City, Jim. Perfect. What's going on? Long-time viewer, first-time caller, I'd like to say my favorite segment is one put together by your excellent staff, The Week That Was. Ooh, okay, there you go. Try and improve that. Hey, What's up? Jim, buy, sell, or hold have held for a long time. Duncan, D-N-K-N. I'm a holder of Duncan, and then if it goes through 60, I would be a buyer of Duncan, buy, buy, not buy. that far from here. Let's go to Riley in Georgia. Riley. Jim, thank you so much for taking my call. Love of the course. Show. Uh, what do you think about Wendy's, buy, sell, or hold? We just had the company on. I thought they told a real good story. I'm going to say bye. I'm going to say bye. I need to go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My stock is Univar. U-N-V-R. Is oh, it a buy? The chemical stocks are getting crushed here, and I'm going to let them come in before I feel like to say you got to buy them right here. I can't feel that way. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I've been telling you that when we get a big, bad sell-off like we had today, you need to stay calm and cautiously treat it as an opportunity to pick up some baby stocks to get thrown out with the tsunami of bathwater. But what's worth buying here? What can actually recover? Here's an idea. Ask yourself, does this company have pricing power? Can it get away with putting through a price increase, or is it at the mercy of its customers? Classic example, United Technologies. This morning, United Technologies reported a spectacular quarter. It was incredible. Secret sauce, United Technology has the ability to raise prices on pretty much everything it makes. There's so much demand for its aerospace products, its engines, its air conditioners, that they can easily raise prices to cover escalating raw costs. On the other hand, the consumer goods companies have almost no flexibility whatsoever 
on price. Many of them had to lower prices just to keep up with their competitors who are trying to take market share, especially the nimble online competitors that are doing so much damage to the industry's more established players. The issue of pricing power becomes a lot more important in a world where raw costs are indeed escalating like right now. United Technologies had to take a hit from rising steel, aluminum, copper prices, but it can pass those costs along to its customers and then some. Not every industrial can do this. Caterpillar, for example, told a very different story this morning, as did 3M, even though I would say that both of them really have more flexibility than they indicated. However, companies like Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble, great American companies, and all the food and consumer products companies that we all know about, they have rising raw costs. But when they try to pass those costs along to the consumer, they get clobbered, and they don't have the growth the industrials have to mask it. Now, if it gets, it gets worse. In this market, we're beginning to see something that's just deadly, a sense that maybe this is the last good quarter. Even if you report terrific earnings and can control pricing, investors are saying that commodities are only going to get worse. Look at oil, which means the earnings are going to get worse, something that people thought Caterpillar might actually be fearing when the company lowered the boom on its own stock today. Rising treasury yields make this, the uh, consumer product stories even tougher because their dividends look a lot less attractive when the 10 years at three. That said, even on a horrible day like today, it's important not to go overboard with the negativity like everybody else. Maybe commodity inflation will cool down a bit. Maybe the consumer products companies will find a way to get some pricing power back. Stranger things have happened. I think you need to temper your pessimism after a day like today. It may be hard to remember, but good things can happen. Right now, people are panicking, and you need to give them more room to sell these stocks before you even think about buying them. Even if you believe commodity costs will come down, even if you think, for instance, that Procter & Gamble's 4% yield is attractive and the company can figure out how to raise prices eventually, it may be too soon to buy the stock hand over fist, even though I did find it mighty tempting today. Here's, but that's, that's kind of beside the point. The one thing I want to emphasize here is that right now, at this very moment, we have a real paucity of companies that do have pricing power. And in many cases, the ones with no pricing power are often plagued by long-term secular problems, not short-term cyclical ones. For example, let's go back to Procter & Gable. It's facing competition from online competitors that can sell cheaper razor blades and cheaper diapers and deliver them right to your door. You, ne- you never want to be undercut on price, but the fact that consumers keep trading down to the cheaper competitors in some countries, even in economic expansion, is pretty telling. If the web has made consumers less willing to pay up, then the consumer packaged goods companies are in trouble and may need to take radical action to turn things around. Without something dramatic, like a breakup or a spinoff, they may turn out to be value traps. United Technologies, on the other hand, has that power, and it might break up into unlock value anyway. Pricing power. You have it. Stock bounces. You don't. But let's just say that's another story. Stick with Craig. You know, I've been cautious here, very cautious, because of TNT, the tenure and tariffs. Nothing today made me feel like that those are behind us, but we did get to the 3% level that everyone is so afraid about. We just have to find the other shoe, which is the tariffs. If we find that they are tempered, then it's going to be as close to an all-clear as we're going to get. Otherwise, what can I say? We're just going to have to do some waiting. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.